And thank you, Isabel. I don't know if they're clapping for you or for me, but we'll both take, we'll both take it. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning, online community. It's great to have you with us today. We are in a message on hope. How many of you need hope? I mean, even a little bit. Some days you need a lot, more than the person next to you. God is the God of hope. And He would not call Himself the God of hope if He didn't know that we need hope on this side of heaven. Life's hard. Life's tough. How many of you experienced any kind of trial, tribulation, suffering, or hardship in life yet? Just raise your hand, both hands, both hands, both feet. Jesus even said, in this world, everybody say, in this world. In this world, world, Jesus said, you shall have troubles. But, everybody say, but. But. I love the buts in the Bible. But, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. In other words, if you cling to me, you're going to make it through. You're going to be all right, and you're going to be victorious. Life can throw some doozies at us. Unexpected, uninvited, unsolicited trauma can come to our lives. Tragedies, suffering. However, did you know that we can also bring trouble on ourselves? Can I hear an amen or an oh me or an ouch? We can bring trouble on ourselves. And that is my message today. Aren't you glad you came? But this is what I'm going to say about the God of hope. Our God, your God, the God that you have claimed to be your God, not only can bring hope into situations you had nothing to do with that just came at you, but He can also give hope to the situations and the message you created yourself. I got two amens on that one. Am I preaching the wrong sermon to the wrong group of people? How many of you have ever created your own mess? Come on, just raise your hand. All right. I just want to say that God is so gracious and so good and so kind and so capable that even when you have made the mess yourself, He will still give you what I'm calling this message, a door of hope. He will literally take the mess you made and transform it into a door of hope. In fact... In the book of Hosea, he says this specifically. Look at this powerful scripture. He says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 15a, there, now that there there was the jam that Israel got herself into. God's people turned their back on God, got involved in all sorts of wickedness and sin and immorality, and it threw them into captivity. But he says, there... In the place of trouble that you created yourself, right there, look what he says, there I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of trouble, I will make, I will make your valley of trouble, what? Say it out loud. (laughs) What a God we serve. Thank you, Ron. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Many times we blame our situation on God. Many times we blame God for not changing our situation. 
oft times, many times, we are saying, God, how come my situation isn't changing? And we're beating up against the door trying to get that thing to change. We're banging on the door. God, open this door. God, open this door. God, open this door. And the whole time, we have the key. God, open the door. I need the key to this door. I need this door open, God. And we're crying out to God. And the whole time, we had the key in our own possession. It could be repentance. It could be obedience. Why hasn't this happened yet? Have you done what God asked you to do? How come this is happening to me? Have you stopped doing what God told you to stop doing? I had a friend. I don't mean this to sound insensitive. It just is. I had a friend who was battling diabetes. He couldn't get his weight under control. We'd work together, and he just continually did not do it. It was a struggle. And everybody has, should have compassion on everybody's struggle. Life's hard. But when I saw him post on Facebook, I'm tired of asking God why. I thought, that right there, that problem will never be solved. As long as he's blaming what's in his control on God. I'm tired of asking God why. Or a marriage where one of the spouses is neglecting the spouse, not prioritizing the spouse, ignoring the spouse, mistreating the spouse. Blaming God that my marriage isn't what it could be. Or ignoring the family and friends and all the red flags and saying, don't marry him, don't marry her, don't do it. This is not a good combo. I hear the issues, and you get married anyway, and a year later, why God? I had a gal come to me uh, one time. She said, I, I met my husband in a, in a club. <clears throat> we'll just leave it there. And then after we got married, he's still going to the club. And she wants me to tell him to stop. And I said, well, you married him. Like, that's who he was when you married him. And you were warned about this. And now you want him to change now that you've married him. And we get mad at the situation when the whole time we held the key ourselves. God is not going to do for us what we're required to do for ourselves. Can I hear an amen? amen. He is not going to take our end of the responsibility. But he will get you out of it even if you created it. <laughs> Can I hear another amen? amen? All right. Now, many times our problems are a result of sin. We're just in sin, and we, have, and we just have unrepentant sin. You know, asking forgiveness for a sin is different than repenting from it. You know that, right? Like asking forgiveness for sin, God will cleanse you of your sin. He'll cleanse you of the guilt. He'll forgive you. Repentance, though, means you're turning from it and to Him. Turning away from the sin and turning to Him. See, that's, that's a key, right? That's a key. You turn away from the sin and to Him. That's repentance, and you walk away from it. Now, are all of our problems a result of our sin? No. Are some of our problems a result of our sin? Can I hear it? Yes. yes. And this is great news. This is a hopeful message. Because if 
your situation can change by simply you changing. That's a good mess. That's, that means you have power. That means you have control. That means you're not hopeless. You can do something about your situation. It's kind of like when I find somebody has, is demonized. Man, that is so much easier than counseling. I mean, if it's counseling or if it's a, a genuine uh, medical condition and they need to be on medication or they need whatever, that's, that's a longer process than just casting a demon out. So if it's just repentance, everybody say, praise God. Praise I mean, that's easy, right? Start prioritizing your wife. Stay away from that thing. Stop doing that thing. Go do this thing. That's pretty much my wife's philosophy, right? Uh, what is it? Admit it? Admit it and quit it? Yeah. Admit it and quit it. Life is simple for her. Oh, no. It was, it, oh, no. It was a... Uh, yeah, that's it. I thought there was a third part to it. The valley of trouble that we just read, I will turn your valley of trouble... Gosh, he's such a good God. So much better to us than we deserve. I will turn your valley of trouble into a door of hope. Wow. That valley of trouble is called the Valley of Achor. And it's called the Valley of Achor because it was named after a guy named Achan. And he really screwed up. Joshua, the commander of God's army, was going into the land of Canaan. After 40 years of being in the desert, because of Israel's unrepentant sin... See, God delivered Israel, God's people, three million people, delivered them out of bondage, out of slavery, out of Egypt. This is like some of you that got saved. You got delivered out of the world. God called you and drawed you and saved you. Then you would go into the desert. It was supposed to be like a three-day journey to go into the promised land where there's more milk and honey than you could possibly ever eat or drink. But instead, they began to sin and they began to rebel against God. Or began, began to do their, their own thing and complaining and just all sorts of, all sorts of stuff that, that caused them to get stuck there. And they would complain against God. You know, why are we stuck in the desert? And God kept saying, it's because of you. Because of your behavior. I want to take you to the promised land, but I can't because... So, a whole generation had to die. Because they wouldn't repent from their sin. The next generation comes up. Joshua's taking them in now to the promised land. They go to the first city, and it's Jericho. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but you can read it in Joshua chapter 6. It's Jericho. It's a city with walls that are so high, you can, you can literally race seven chariots around these walls. They're so thick and so high, impenetrable. And yet God gives them a supernatural strategy. The walls come crumbling down, and they take the first city. And God said, everybody say, God said. God said, do not take any of the gold and the silver and the treasury from the Jericho. Put it into the treasury of the Lord. God wanted the first fruits of the promised land. That's what the tithe is about. The first 10% of our income is worship. It's God, you are my source. God, I trust you. Not what my hands can provide, but what your hands can provide. And that's, where, that's what the tithe is. It's about trust. That's why Jesus says our heart and our money are connected. So this one dude 
saw some gold, a big, nice, fat gold chunk of gold, and he just had to have it. Lust of the eyes. Everybody say lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. Pride of life. It worked in the Garden of Eden. It worked. Still working. Lust of the eyes. He took it, buried it in his tent. So they go to the second city, and his army said, hey, don't send everybody up there to Ai. It's a small town. Just send about 3,000 of us. We'll go up there. We'll wipe it out. No big deal. Joshua said, okay, go get them, right? So now they're getting kind of cocky. They don't ask God. They don't ask him for a strategy. They don't ask him for his wisdom. They don't ask him for his support. Oh, look what, we, look what we just did. We can take care of this little thing. They go up there and they get their butts kicked. They come back down. They're gone. We got slaughtered. So Joshua falls on his face and starts blaming God. Oh, God, why did you let us get wiped out? How come you weren't there for us? Did you bring us into the promised land for us to be defeated like this? Did you bring us into the promised land so that our enemies could mock us and mock you? Oh, God, what are you doing? Why did you let this happen? And then God says to Joshua, get up. That's what it says with an exclamation point. Get up. This isn't on me. This is on you. Somebody named Achan took some of the gold and hid it in his tent. Well, he didn't tell him who it was. They had to go through this process. Your sin doesn't just affect you. Your sin affects your family. It affects your circles of influence. And not just because of the natural ramifications of it, but because of the spiritual ramifications of it. Satan will take advantage of your rebellion against God. And it will affect your circle of influence. So Achan sin, this one guy's sin affected the whole community. But once they took care of the sin, then they were victorious. Sometimes you hold the key to your own deliverance. This is the message of hope. Okay, so back to Hosea, where he says, I will turn your door, uh, I'll turn the valley of trouble into a door of hope. This is in the book of Hosea, and uh, Israel at that time had a king named King Jeroboam II. He was one of the worst kings in Israel's history. He had became very cold-hearted, apathetic, didn't really care about God or God's ways anymore. And so he began to get into all sorts of sin and wickedness, which led all of God's people. You see, as a leader, as a mom, as a dad, as a pastor, as a president, as a governor, as a principal, as a CEO, if you go, if you, if you, whatever direction you go, those that you're responsible for will follow you. That's why the Bible says, don't many of you be Bible teachers because yours is the greater judgment. You see, the way I teach you, I'm shaping your mind right now. You're allowing me to shape you by what I'm teaching you right now. I'm going to be held accountable for that because the way you think is the way you will behave. What you believe is the way you behave. And my teaching is shaping the way you're believing. That's why I like when some people teach that the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural, is not here, not for us today, and it shapes whole congregations in that lie, and then they live powerless lives while they're here on earth. 
And they will be, the teachers will be held, I don't know what that looks like, what it's going to look like when they get there. I'll be held accountable for the things that I thought were true. But teaching things that you know are bad, like King Jeroboam, where he's leading all of Israel into all sorts of wickedness. And Hosea says what they were doing. He says, uh, Hosea says they were breaking their vows, whether it's marital or in business. They were breaking conduct. They didn't have integrity. They were stealing. They were lying. They were committing adultery. They were even murdering one another. That's five out of the Ten Commandments right there. And Hosea warned God's people. Many times God will warn you, stop it, stop it, stop it. Some bad things are going to happen to you. And he warns them and warns them. He warns us because he loves us. And Hosea's warning them, you're going to go into captivity. You need to stop this. And he warned them about the collapse of the nation that was coming their way. He talked about corrupt leaders, unstable family life, widespread immorality, class hatred, idolatry, godless values, which had become a norm in their culture. Sound familiar? The spiritual failing of the leaders to guide God's people in God's ways. But the thing about the spiritual leaders of their day, the more the people sinned, the richer the spiritual leaders got because of the guilt offerings they had to purchase. So the whole thing's corrupt. The government's corrupt. The culture's corrupt. The church is corrupt. Hosea then goes on to talk about how both men and women gave themselves to profound sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, and prostitution. They called it idol worship. Now, their idol worship was actual physical pottery, right, that they would, that they would make. And there were sexual images. Ours are digital. It's still idolatry. And they gave themselves over to it without any boundaries whatsoever. And God uses their sexual immorality in a way only God could. He uses it metaphorically to show them their spiritual unfaithfulness. So our sexual unfaithfulness mirrors our spiritual unfaithfulness. How? Why? Because our sexuality, we are made in the image of God, male and female. And when we pervert that, we pervert the glory of God. And so that's why there's so much sexual perversion right now and confusion. It's because the, because the enemy is trying to distort the image, the glory of God in the human race. That's what that's all about. Satan's always after God's glory. He hates God. He hates us because we're made in his image. So he's trying to pervert and distort and destroy the image of God. And so sexual immorality is always where we end up going because our sexuality is the core of who we truly are. It's our identity, male and female, made in his image. So the way we express our sexuality, whether it's impurity, which honors God, or impurity, which dishonors God, uh, is the way that we reflect his glory. And so God says, okay, I want Israel to understand how much, what's really going on here and how much this is affecting me and our relationship. So he tells his prophet, his preacher, to marry a prostitute. <laughs> One person just looked at me and went, exactly. That, how do you think Hosea felt? He's the one that got the message from God to marry a prostitute. And he says, marry a prostitute and have children with her. What an assignment. 
And God and Hosea both knew that Gomer, and he had to marry a woman named Gomer, Gomer, that was the worst part of the deal, I think. God and, and Hosea both knew that Gomer was going to be unfaithful to him over and over and over and over again. So he knew he was going to marry a woman who was going to cheat on him. And they had children together. Why did God do this? God is saying, just as I have married you, just as I called you to be my son in the faith, my daughter in the faith, my child, just as I called us into like a marriage relationship, and you're cheating on me with the world, I will never cheat on you. Even though you're unfaithful to me and unfaithful to me and unfaithful to me, I will never be unfaithful to you. What a message of loyalty and love and faithfulness from a holy God to an unholy people. Isn't that incredible? And he knows that they're going to be unfaithful. Even after Hosea warns them. And so God has Hosea name their three children. The first name was um, Slaughter is Coming. Wow. The second name is um, No Pity. And the third name is Not My People. He, he, is, he is trying to communicate to them, it's going to be really bad if you don't turn. This is a father pleading with a child, a husband pleading with a wife, a wife pleading with a husband. Please don't go. Please stop it. Please change your ways. Because suffering is coming. Again, God is trying to communicate with us. So often we hold the key to our own success, our own deliverance, our own freedom. And we wonder why bad things are happening to us. And the whole time we hold the key. And God's trying to communicate and warn us. However, everybody say however. Even though he knew they would ultimately reject him, God still holds out hope. God says to them this, once you've had enough suffering and the pain of change becomes less than the pain of your problems, and you turn and come back to me, I will be right here. I'm not going anywhere. And I will heal you, and I will restore you, and it will be better than it was before. Because I'm the God of restoration. What a God! What a God! What would you do? No, I mean, like, if you were in God's position, what would you do? You would not do what he's doing. Come on, just be honest. In fact, in fact, in the book of Hosea, when God is pleading with him not to go, he says this in Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. He says, how, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zebulun? That's referring to Sodom and Gomorrah when God 
rained fire down on those two cities because of their wickedness. My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. And the Good News translation, it says this, How can I give you up, Israel? Put your name in there. God is saying this to you. How could I ever give you up? How can I abandon you? Could I ever destroy you as I did Adma and treat you as I did Zebulun? My heart will not let me do it. My love for you is too strong. I think so often we don't understand not only does our own unrepentant sin create our own problems in our own lives. And by the way, God has given us the power not to sin and to repent. He has given us authority and power to not be caught up in the things we used to be caught up in. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fair. But once you come to Christ and He fills you with His Spirit, then He gives us the supernatural power to live a holy, godly life. We don't all do it perfectly. I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm talking about being flippant. I'm talking about taking God's grace for granted. You see? I'm talking about what's called greasy grace or hyper grace or what the Bible or, or, uh, and, and, the, and, the, uh, and the biblical term, theological term, is called antinomianism, which is called grace without accountability. In other words, you can sin all you want. You can behave any way you want, and there will be no consequences because I love you. Okay, do you, do you parent that way? Do you tell your children, because of my grace, because of my mercy, because of my love for you, you can act like an idiot, a moron, a wicked human being all day long, and you will never have a consequence because that's love. Is that love? That's not love. That's negligence. That's abuse. Or a spouse. You can behave any way you want. You can treat me any way you want. You can treat yourself any way you want. You can treat others any way you want. And I'm here for you no matter what. What's that called? That's, what, that's called a, a, a batter spouse syndrome. That's right, a doormat. That's right. We would never put up with that. And yet, come on, family of God. And yet... That's the way we treat him. That's the way we relate to God. I remember one time I was headed down to Mexico when, when our firstborn was, I don't know, maybe like three years old. And he would plead with me not to leave. He would cry when I was leaving to go on a ministry trip. It would literally just rip my heart. I could physically feel. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. It hurt so bad. And I'm sitting in the airport with Mario, who has us, one of our churches down in Mexico. And we're sitting in the airport, and I'm telling him, I'm sitting there looking at him. He goes, what's the matter with you? I said, oh, my God, my heart hurts so much just thinking about Elliot crying when I was leaving the house. And he goes, that's the way God feels when you walk away from him. I was like, dang, man. <laughs> Got to fly with this guy for the next 10 days, be around him. Sometimes I don't think we understand that sin has consequences. Will he forgive us? Yes. But will there be consequences? There could be if we don't turn away from the things that are hurting 
ourselves and others and God. This is the other thing I don't think we understand. And that is the way that it affects God personally. As though he's a robot. That is, as though he has no feelings. As though our sin doesn't affect him. Do the sins of your children hurt you and affect you, parents? Grandparents? Do the sins of your spouse hurt you? Husband? Wife? Right? Certainly. And yet, I don't think we view God this way. But we just read how he said that my love is too strong for you. One writer puts it this way. One writer says it, says that God is portrayed, God, in the book of Isaiah, God is being portrayed as a spurned spouse whose feelings are hurt and a loving parent who grieves the fate of his rebellious child. You're meant to imagine a husband whose stomach is in knots because his wife hasn't come home yet and he knows what she's out doing. Or a dad slumped over in his study looking at an old picture of his son as a child, remembering what it was like before his son cut himself off from the family. God is in anguish over Israel's unfaithfulness. In it, he cries. Now, before we go to the good part of the story, everybody say, the good part of the story. Come on. (laughs) It's coming. Okay, before we go there, I've got to do something else quickly. Because there are those who teach that God's accountability, bringing accountability into our lives because of our sin, is Old Testament. That judgment is Old Testament. That God doesn't judge today. I have to now take us to the New Testament just to point this out so that we can be sober-minded about God and us and our relationship with Him. But all this is about God's love. God's judgment, God's accountability is to save us from ourselves. It's to save us from hurting ourselves and losing our marriage and losing our ministry and losing our children and losing our own health. I mean, God is the the God of love and mercy and grace. The Bible says His mercy triumphs over judgment. It says He does not judge us according to our sins or we would just literally be obliterated. Right? He says He throws our sins as far as the east is from the west. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to restore. But he can't if we're rebelling because he's given us free will. So in the New Testament, just a couple of things we're going to read here. John chapter 5, verse 14. This is now when Jesus is in the earth. Later, Jesus found him at the temple, this guy who was crippled for 38 years. Jesus finds him after he heals him. He finds him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Now, this is Jesus talking. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus said that. Now, was Jesus hurting him or helping him? Jesus very clearly said the guy's condition was because of his sin. The four guys that picked up their friend who was on a mat, paralyzed, carried him across town, ripped a hole in the roof of the meeting where Jesus was, ripped a hole in the, the guy's roof, brings the guy, lowers the guy down to Jesus. Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven to you. The guy's paralyzed, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Then he heals him. Clearly, the sin and the sickness were connected. And some of them might say, well, that was before Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead. Okay, so here's Paul writing to the Corinthian church. 
So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. You eat, for if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, in that church there was racism and classism, and the rich people were coming first, and they were eating all the food, drinking all the wine, getting drunk. Then the, the, the slaves would come, the servants would come later, no food, no wine, and it was supposed to be for communion. And so they were, they were, they were um, dishonoring one another in the body. So that's what he's talking about. And he says, for if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Everybody say, wow. He's talking to the church. That's why, he says, some of you are weak. Come up for prayer, anoint with oil, pray in tongues, cast out devils, whatever we got to do, and nothing changes. Counsel, 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 pray, 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 fast, 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 nothing changes. Because you are holding the key to your own deliverance. We can lay hands on you all day long, but if you're not doing what God has called you to do, or stop doing what God has called you to stop doing, your situation is not going to change. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you right now. Go ahead. Just turn to him and say, I think he's talking to you right now. (laughs) And hey, look, I want to say this to you and you online and everybody else on on the planet and everybody in heaven and in hell. When I'm pointing this finger out here, I got three coming back this way. Hey, look, this one's going up. So that means God, everybody say, God, help me. me. All right. Let's read some more good news. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have even died. But, everybody say, but. Love the buts in the Bible. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. It's God's mercy. In the previous chapter, Paul goes on to say this to the same church. Can you take more of this? Who loves truth? Raise your hand if you love truth. All right, we're going to go a little bit further. Here we go. I promise we'll end with good news. 1 Corinthians 10, he says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, believers, of the gathering place church, and anyone else who's listening to this or watching this. I do not want you to be unaware, believers, that our fathers were all under the cloud in which God's presence went before them. This is when they were in the desert after they were delivered from Egypt. They all passed miraculously and safely through the Red Sea. And all of them were baptized into Moses, into a safekeeping as their leader, in the cloud and in the sea. And all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank from the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not well pleased with most of them, for they were scattered along the ground in the wilderness because of their lack of self-control led to disobedience, which led to death. Now these things, the warnings and admonition, took place as examples for us. See? Like, oh, well, that was Old Testament. These were written as examples for us. He's trying to help us. So that we would not crave evil things as they did. Do not be worshipers of handmade gods or digital gods. 
as some of them were. Just as it is written in Scripture, the people sat down to eat and drink after sacrificing to the golden calf at Horeb and stood up to play, indulging in immoral activities. We must not indulge nor tolerate sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day. We must not tempt the Lord, that is, test His patience, question His purpose, or exploit His goodness, as some of them did, and they were killed by serpents. And do not murder, this is New Testament, by the way, just saying. And do not murmur, that means complain, in an unwarranted discontent, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. So don't come to church complaining. And now these things happened to them as an example and warning to us. They were written for our instruction to admonish and equip us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, being overconfident and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience, nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. You can't say, yeah, but I can't help myself. This is different than anybody else's temptation. Everybody says, and survey says and wrong that's self-pity that's excuse making that's lying to yourself that's rationalization what is it admit it quit it everybody say admit it quit it, admit it, quit it. i know there's a third one we'll get it. i can't remember what the third one was no temptation regardless of a source has overtaken a tight you said it's not common He is compassionate and trustworthy. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation, he has in the past and is now and will always provide the way out as well so that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome with the temptation with joy. Everybody said amen. And then the book of Hebrews says it this way. In your struggle against sin. I'm trying to help you today, by the way. I love you. I care about you. I love me and I care about me too. This is for me as well as for you and for you. Online community. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What does that mean? What does that mean? What's he talking about? Who's he talking about? Jesus. Jesus, When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, not wanting to do the will of his father, Because it was so hard, the stress was so intense that blood came out the pores of his face. He was resisting the temptation to not obey God. Because sometimes obeying God's hard. But look what happened when he obeyed him. We all got saved. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement? That addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Some of you are being disciplined in your life. You're wondering what it is, why it is, why God, how is this happening, why is this happening? It could be the discipline of the Lord trying to get you to repent and to change so you can be set free and prosper. 
My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when He rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one He loves. Like, I, like my, my son Elliot one day when he was younger. Dad, how come you won't let me do this? How come you won't let me do that? How come you know, I get in trouble when I do this? And I said to him, because I love you, son. You know what he said to me? <laughs> Could you not love me for just one day? <laughs> the lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son and daughters endure hardship as discipline one day my one of my spiritual fathers said that he had a dream and this angel went into god's throne room and god said to the angel why aren't you disciplining wilhite anymore and he said because Whenever I discipline him, all he does is complain. He doesn't grow. So I just figured it was worthless. And Pastor what? I woke up from that dream. And he decided that from now on, whenever he had a hardship in his life, he was going to use it to just praise the Lord. Well, praise you, Lord. Praise you for this hardship, God. I thank you I'm growing. I thank you that I'm trusting you more deeply. I praise you. I pray. He decided every time he had a hardship, he was going to praise the Lord. And so then he had another, three months later, he had another dream. It was a demon going into Satan's throne room. And Satan said, how come you're not persecuting Wilhite anymore? He said, because every time I persecute him, he praises Jesus. And I know you don't want him praising Jesus. Come on. If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while, as though they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. In other words, become like Him. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Quit complaining. Quit whining. Make level paths for your feet. Take responsibility so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. There are other New Testament examples, but I think enough's enough. I do want to show you, though, how God's grace and mercy and His kindness, even when we have made our own mess, He's ready to heal and restore. Look what He says in the book of James, chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Is anyone sick among you? Now watch the correlation of sin and sickness again here. Is our sickness always a result of sin? No. Can it be sometimes... If you don't say yes real loud, I'm going to preach this whole thing all over again. We're going to be here until 2 p.m. It can be. Is anyone sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up if they have sinned. Why did he throw that in there? The same thing with the guy laid down, brought down in the mat, the sin and the sickness. Same guy uh, paralyzed 38 years, the sin and the sickness. 
here you'll be healed and if you've committed any sins in other words if 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 sin was the source of the sickness they will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective now let's go back to where we began we're going to wrap this up back to the book of hosea where we've opened that scripture with, I will turn your valley of trouble that you created, but I will make it a door of hope for you. And let's go back to see what he says their end will look like. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. That's Israel, or that's you, or me. He's going to draw us. Therefore, in their pain, in their suffering, in their valley of trouble, I'm going to draw them to myself to a private place. I will lead her into a private place, into the wilderness, and speak not shamefully there. I'm gonna, yeah, that's right, Agatha. When we expect God's harsh voice, what do we get? We get His gentleness and His tenderness because He knows we're frail. He knows we're weak. He knows we're sinful. He knows we, He could break us. The Bible says that Jesus was so tender that it, He wouldn't break a bruised reed nor he, would He quench a smoking flask, a little candle about to go out. He would never just go, enough of you. He's so gentle and so kind. Even in our rebellion, He woos us back. He calls us and He draws us because He's so kind. He's saying, please come back. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting others. Come to me. I will lure her. I will draw you into the wilderness and speak tenderly to you. There I will give you back your vineyards. I'll give you back your marriage. I'll give you back your kids. I'll give you back your health. I'll give you back your finances. I'll give you back your ministry. And I will make the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, a door of hope. There you will respond to me as in the days of your youth, in the day when I brought you out of bondage, out of Egypt, out of the world. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You'll no longer call me my master. In other words, after you go through all the pain and the suffering and God calls you back and draws you, come back and you repent, God will say, our relationship will be better than before. Before you called me master, but now you're going to call me my husband. Our intimacy is going to be like it never was before. Because you know what it's like to be out there in your own pain and suffering. And you're going to know what it's like to hear my voice whisper to you, come on. And then you're going to feel my gentle touch of restoration and healing. And you're going to know me more deeply and more intimately than you ever did before. And our relationship is going to be closer than ever before. You will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. And I will remove the name of the bales from your lips. I will take that sin, that addiction, that anger issue the pornography the the pride the lust the greed whatever it is i'm going to take it from your lips and you and and no longer will that name even be invoked by you and then he closes in isaiah 3 4 and 5 you're not even going to believe this scripture that we're going to close with right here for the children of israel In that day that I deliver them or I deliver you, the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice, without sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. That means that's when they were in desolation. That's when they were in 
complete captivity. They, they had none of the political power, spiritual power, economic power they used to have. When they, when they don't have any of that, when they're in captivity and bondage and wilderness and desperation, he says, afterward, everybody say afterward. afterward. Say it loud and I'll stop preaching. Just say afterward. Afterward. <laughs> afterward. The children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And watch this phrase. You're not even going to believe what this actually means. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Do you know what that literally means? They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. In the Hebrew, it literally means when I call you and draw you back to me out of your sin... I will be so good to you, you will be shocked by the goodness of God. (laughs) Do you have something you want to say? Obviously planning on sharing this, but this literally did happen to me. And um, I was very, very sick with Crohn's disease. And um, I would come up for healing and this and that. And then we had a women's retreat. And anyway, God showed me that it was my sin. And it was um, jealousy of my husband being home because um, his business, you know, it was during that time when we lost the business. And I was home with my kids and then I had to go back to work full time and I was so angry and so bitter and I was jealous and I was judging and I was just like, and I just wouldn't get well and no medication worked. And, um, and then God just showed me to like, I repented from the sin and, um, and he showed me, it was like, he, he was showing me this picture and it was like my heart. And, um, and, and, and it was like, he was looking in my heart in a, in like in a closet door and he picked up this like mealy apple and he looked at it and he looked at me and I knew that it was like the jealousy and the, you know, the anger and all these things that I was just like so mad at. And, um, I repented and I, I was healed and, you know, and the thing about it is, is every time it tries to come back, it's always like when I'm angry and when I'm mad or when, um, you know, just like sin comes back in and it'll just try. Mm. And I just like, nope, nope, I'm not, Don't want that. I'm healed. I'm healed. I'm not, I'm not going to let this get me again. Whew. So... And I'm still married. Thank you. Thank you so much. What's that? I said, and I'm still married 21 years. <laughs> Damn. Wow, what a beautiful testimony. That this message was for you. Why don't you just, let's just all stand. And why don't you just move out of your seat and you just come on up front here. Stand up here if this is for you. Unless... Let's repent. We're not going to make you confess your sins in front of everybody. 
like Christina just did. But boy, what a wonderful, humble example for the rest of us. If you think that you're holding the key and you're ready to use it to unlock that door of freedom, why don't you just move out from your seat? Just come up here, up front. And we're going we're gonna to worship. The Lord has called you and drawn you. He's calling you through this message. Thank you for your humility, your courage. Come on, there's more. There can't be one person in this church that this message is for. If that's you, don't waste this divine moment of God's voice. I said to the Lord, are you sure you want me to preach this? And all I could feel, I could feel his heart saying, I want to help my people. Some of them are sick and weak and dying because of their sin. And they need to know it so they can have a chance to repent and be healed. Some of you, your spiritual fervor, your spiritual excitement, it's been quenched because you've quenched it through sin. See, the Holy Spirit is a spirit of purity. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of life and love. And the Bible says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. How do you do that? When we, when we sin and we turn from the Lord's ways, there's a fire He put in you when you were born again. There was a fire in your heart. And you literally pour water on it. Then you're not excited about church. You're not excited about the Bible. You're not excited about prayer. But God is calling you and drawing you to cleanse you and to restore you. And he says, it'll be better than before. So if that's you and you want to turn from whatever it might be, then just make your way up front here. And we're going to fill this place with worship and let God's presence come in and do a work in our hearts this morning. And I believe you're going to start seeing some change. calling and drawing make your way up he calls you and draws you come on up I just want to sit here at your feet caught up in this holy that scripture not all of these are i'm sure come up for physical healing but whatever it might be in their life it says call for the elders of the church let them anoint you with oil lay hands on you and pray and if and the lord will heal you and raise you up and if you've committed any sins you will be forgiven so we are going to now begin to activate 
the blessings of the Lord upon those who are coming to repent. It might be your marriage and your pride and your stubbornness is is robbing your marriage of the joy God intends for it to have. Two weeks ago, I was up here in this moment and I had a word of knowledge that there was a parent that needed to call their child and ask forgiveness. And it was your, your, your pride that was stopping you. I knew who it was, but I didn't call the person out because I didn't want to embarrass him in front of everybody. He's in the place right now. And he came up to me afterward and said, that was me. And I said, I know. And he told me about his relationship with his son. And he obeyed. And he called his son that day and owned his part in the relationship. It was the first step toward restoration. Why did God tell me about his sin? To condemn him? No, because he cared about that relationship. God loves you. He loves us. He cares about us. And he's trying to heal us and restore us and fix us. Uh, Gary just reminded me of of, uh, another word of knowledge I had in pre-service prayer, where we pray before the service that everybody's welcome to. In that pre-service prayer time, I saw somebody sitting in here, and in your mind, you said, my situation will never change. This will never change. And the Lord said today, He was going to change your thinking on that. Now you were going to find hope. If that was you, if that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I believe it can change now. After hearing this message, somebody's raising their hand. Right here. Praise God, brother. Where? Another one. <laughs> Four, five, six. Woo, come on. Thank you. Go ahead. Don't pat a cake. Thank you, the Lord. Come on. That's God moving. That's God moving in our midst. All right, come on. Let's worship as we lay hands on these and pray over them. Let's worship Jesus. Come on. When I've come my agenda, I'm sorry. And I forgot that you're enough to take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. Caught up in, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy
just want you Nothing else Nothing else, Jesus Nothing else of you I just want you Nothing else Nothing else, Jesus Nothing else will do Cause I just want you Nothing else, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. Cause I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. Caught up in this holy moment. And I never want
church. I'm going to continue to pray, but um, I'm going to ask my wife if you'll come up. She didn't expect this. And I'm not connecting her sickness to sin. I was thinking about this on the way down. We don't get to see Hope much. For those of you that are new here, this is my wife, Hope. Isn't it wonderful having her in the house? Yes. And um, we're trying everything we can to get her healed. And I thought, I want the church to pray for her today. She doesn't like being the center of attention, but I don't care. I need my wife healed. So I want to anoint her with oil. And I want us to pray over her as the body of Christ. And believe God for a healing miracle. In a couple of weeks, they say she's going to go into six weeks of radiation, which they don't have anything good to say about. She's been through radiation before. We've been battling this for a while. It's not our first rodeo, unfortunately. But this one's supposed to be kind of bad. And... Um, I don't want her to have to go through it. I want to be done with this. Yes, yes. Right? And uh, so, uh, if we can all pray for her, don't don't like come up here and everybody jump on her. I mean, just like reach your hands out, Gary, Kathy, um, uh, the Canes, would you guys come up? Dan and Chris, I want you guys to lay hands. Anoint with oil. Body of Christ, let's pray for hope, for physical healing to come upon her and power. Julie McLean, uh, will you come up and pray for her too? Gary, I'm going to give you a microphone and let you lead us in prayer for hope. And then we're going to continue to pray for others. We're going to wrap up here soon. Is is this a testimony mic on? we come to you on behalf of hope that you would fill her with hope God she is you've had your hands on her since she was in her mother's womb Lord you brought her through things that they said could not be healed when she came when she was born you brought her through many times you brought healing to her when she was a, a newborn infant Lord We've seen your healing in her life over the years, God. You gave her the name Hope because she is a person of hope. And Lord, we join our faith with her right now that you would fill her with hope. We understand, God, how hard the journey has been. But we're lifting up our hope with her, God. We're lifting our arms to lift her arms up, God, that she would have hope. We come against this sickness yes, in the do. name of Jesus in the Christ. Name of Jesus. We come on, curse church. cancer of all types in the name of Jesus yes. Christ. We say, cancer, you must release her yes. now. You have no hold on this woman of hope, this godly woman of hope. Leave her now in Jesus' name, Lord. We pray for total healing and deliverance from this sickness. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Lord, took this healing on when you went to the cross for this woman God if there was no one else you went to the cross you took the stripes for her and so we're just claiming that now we're claiming total healing which is a miracle we know it's a miracle but you're a miracle working God 
And we call on you, the miracle-working God, to bring another working, another miracle for this beautiful woman of God, this child of God. Total healing, Lord. Total healing, we pray. In Jesus' name. So, so totally. A birthday gift of healing in Jesus' name, Lord. A birthday gift of healing in Jesus' name. Total healing. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear. Over fear and all anxiety. Help captive by a sickness. So every soul held captive by a sickness, I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is I. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Church, we're just going to keep worshiping for a few more moments, but you're more than welcome to stay behind and, and worship with us and receive prayer. But if you must go, um, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for joining us online. We pray that you have a blessed rest of your day and an amazing week. God be with you. God make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you guys. Thank you so much.